I'm looking forward to being with you today, and we're going to talk about in this first hour uh, what we should be uh, as a pastor and what we should be doing as a pastor. That way, when you're looking for a pastor, you know what to look for, and, uh, wh- and then you can hear from him what he uh, wants to do at your church, make sure it lines up with the Bible. And so this will help us with that. In the second hour, we're going to look internally at the church. Uh, The Bible teaches us how we should look, and so we're going to break open the church and look inside like looking into a mirror and make sure we match up so that we have the internal growth that we should. And then tonight, we're going to look at uh, the devil's strategy to defeat the church, and he has one. And we're going to look at that, and uh, hopefully you have not fallen into any of his traps uh, because he would love for your church to go to the wayside. Uh, He'd love for it to go liberal, but he'd love to close your doors. And he's got you at a very vulnerable, you're at a very vulnerable state right now, and you're without a pastor, and you're looking, and uh, the attacks can come in, and you can get off track. You we look at some uh, institutions, we look at some churches, we look at some ministries that are out there that have, that have run off the tracks. Well, how did they get off track? Well, a little bit at a time. And they happen sometimes, and so we want to cover those things today. So I really want to encourage you to be here all day and following along. If you've got your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to ask you just as we begin today, is the Bible sufficient? to help us in our pastoral search, yes or no? The Bible is sufficient. We can build our lives off of this book, and we can build our church off of this book as well. When you're in 1 Timothy, you are in one of the three pastoral epistles. The other pastoral epistles is 2 Timothy and the book of Titus, the three pastoral epistles, okay? And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who is a pastor of the church of Ephesus. And uh, the theme verse, if you will, of 1 Timothy is verse 15 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the what? House of God, which is the what? Of the living, the pillar, and ground of the truth. And so... There's no other pillar and ground of the truth in the world. It's not the Supreme Court. It's not the White House. It's not the schoolhouse. It is the church house that's the pillar and ground of the truth. This is the foundation of truth, and it's the holder up of truth. It's the local church in every community. And God has local churches all over this world, and they're to hold forth and hold out the Word of God so people know what's up and what's down, what's right and what's left, what's good and what's evil. And many churches are failing to hold out the truth, aren't they? And so that's the theme verse of 1 Timothy. Now in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, it gives us a warning about false teaching. Do we have any false teachers in the United States of America? Might even have some in Davis. So there's some false teaching. You come to chapter 2, and it talks about praying. Now as as American churches to do, how how are we doing in the American church as far as praying goes? The number one most uh, closed service of the local churches in America is the prayer meeting. Many churches don't have a Wednesday night prayer meeting any longer, correct? Or they've replaced it with something else. And so the church has uh, moved away from 
praying, how important is praying? Praying is very, very vital, and you see that in chapter 2. You also see the issue of women in leadership in chapter 2. says some things there, as you can look at verse 12. Suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp a what? Over the... Okay, but to be in silence, and God tells us why. In verse 13, Adam was first, then Eve. And so that even begins to talk about female leadership. Is there a lot of female leaders in the church as far as pastors in the United States of America, yes or no? Yes, there are. There's a lot of those. The Bible is teaching us that the men, and we'll get into this as we go through today, the man is to lead the church. And you'll see that as we come down to chapter 3 and verse 1. And so the Bible is teaching us here how we ought to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So the local church is the most important organization on the face of this planet because this is what God created. This is what Jesus is building, the local church. Now, there's a lot of ministries that are going on in the state of Oklahoma, but the local church is what God created. It's what God invented. It's the vehicle that God wants to get his work done in the world today. So the local church is important. And when you get to chapter 3, you have now a list of officials for the local church and a list of their qualifications. And so it has officers and it has responsibilities and as believers, every one of us, we should be involved in a local church. We should function in a local church. We should serve through our local church. We should minister in our local church, what God calls the pillar and ground of the truth. And today, I want to talk to you about leadership in the church. Leadership in the church. This affects every one of us. You say, well, I'm not a leader. It's okay. If you're in the church, there's leadership in the church, and that leadership affects us all. Let's stand, if you will, for 1 Timothy chapter 3. We want to read the scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good a bishop, then must be the husband of one. Okay, you got, we can do this together now. Hopefully you have your Bible. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 now. We're in verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not a striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity for if a man not know how to rule his own house how shall he take care of the church of God not a novice okay not a newbie not a greenhorn what do you call somebody like that down here in Oklahoma greenhorn you guys use that term down here not a baby okay Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Those that are outside of the church, he needs to have a good report of those. That means he pays his bill. <laughs> he has a good report even of lost people. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day that we have together here in Davis, Oklahoma. Thank you for this church and all the years that it has represented even before this day and its future. 
God, I would pray that today would be a blessed day as we work together. And truly, Lord, we want to work together in your word, that your word be first and foremost, that what you say is preeminent in our life and most important in our life, and help us to put aside our own preferences, help us to put aside our own thoughts and just know what the scripture says for the scripture is right and so God help me as I teach it today help me as I preach it help us that we hear it not just in our ears but in our hearts that we would have a heart to surrender to the scripture and to obey it and that it would be it would just be the light to our church to our living and to our community and so Lord I pray for this church I pray that you'd encourage them and I pray that you'd help them as they are looking for a leader and God help them to know what to look for and I pray that you'd be working in that family's heart and would bring them this direction and that they would have a great ministry going forward as they work alongside their pastor to come and we pray all this in Jesus name, amen. You may be seated. All right, you're in 1 Timothy now, chapter 3. We're talking about leadership in the church. And chapter 3 begins a, a study, if you will, of the officials of the church officers. And you'll notice them there in verse 1. One's called a bishop. You notice that in verse 1? And then go on down and you'll find another one uh, in verse 8. What is he called? A deacon. So you've got two kinds, two officials. Now, if we are unbiblical, if we are unbiblical in our leadership, there's going to be a real good chance that we're going to be unbiblical in our church. Leadership is critical. How critical is leadership to a home? To a business? To the United States of America? To a church? It's so important that God gives us the instructions, the guidelines, the qualifications, so as we know what a leadership is supposed to look like and what he's supposed to be. So to build a church, if we're going to build a church, at the heart of that task is the crucial need to make sure that we have God's leader, godly leadership. And our local church will, will go no further than our leadership. There's an inseparable link between the character of our leadership and the quality of our church. And so leaders are to set a godly example for the flock. And people do not normally rise above their leaders. Now, do we know the qualifications? Do we know the character that our pastor should have? The Bible is going to teach us here in 1 Timothy 3. This is what they are to be. So when you're looking at a pastor, you've got to look at what he is. Now let's say that one of you men, you have a daughter, and your daughter's getting ready to marry some fella. Now you're just going to give your daughter to any old fella, yes or no? Yes or no? No. You, to, you better check that fella out. Now he might look good. He might even smell good, but that don't make him good, right? It'd be smart. You know, my daughter just got married. My oldest daughter got married. I called his preacher. <laughs> I said to the preacher, I said, look, you got a young fellow in your church who wants to marry my daughter. Would you let your daughter marry him? 
I called his youth pastor, asked the same question. I called the places he worked. I did. I said, what kind of man is this? Is he a hard worker? Did he show up on time? Did he quit on you? What kind of worker? I'd like to have him back. When I was done with my interviews, I found out a lot about him. You know how many people marry off their daughters and never check? People can say a lot of things about how good they are. They can act good, look good, smell good, but it don't make them good. These are the things the pastor is supposed to be. You can see that right in the scripture because it says it. A, a bishop, look at verse 2, a bishop then must what? Be. So you're looking first at what they are to be. And then secondly, I have found this to be a major problem in the church. Do we know what they're supposed to do? I find if I line up 100 church people across the, world, uh, the wall and ask each one of them, now what is your, your pastor supposed to do? That I'll get 100 different answers almost. He needs to do what the Bible tells him he's supposed to do. And if he doesn't know what he's supposed to do, if he doesn't know what he's supposed to do and he's driving the bus, what does that mean for you? You're not, you're not knowing where you're going. So, you know, if he's the leader and he's the bus driver and he doesn't know where he's going, why are you on the bus? Now, the bus might be moving and shaking and you might feel the vibration. The wheels on the bus go round and round, right? But he's got to be headed in the right direction. And if your leader doesn't know the right direction, we're in trouble. And so we need to know who he is and where he is going those are the things that you need to see that so the positions are in first timothy chapter 3 verse 1 the bible uses the word bishop and then in verse 8 the bible uses the word deacon now do you know what a, what the word deacon means anybody know what the word deacon means it means a servant let's say that out loud what's a deacon do he he serves okay let's get those two clear but these are the two official offices, the official capacity in a local church. And so important, so important that God then gives us a list starting in verse 2 all the way down through verse 17. God gives us a list of 16, 16, sweet 16 qualifications of what a pastor is supposed to be. Now on that list, did you see that he's supposed to be a college graduate? I asked some people, what are you looking for in a pastor? The first thing they said, well, he has to have a degree. I said, where is that in the Bible? I know a lot of people that have degrees, they don't know what they're talking about. Hello? In America, almost anybody can get a degree if you've got enough money. See, we've got to look for, you know, when you look at these 16 things, do you know what you're looking for in a man? You're looking for character. You're looking for character. And he better have character at home before you hire him to put him in your church. Character. And so God, it's so important that God listed them out. But he didn't not only list them here in 1 Timothy, he also listed them over in Titus. In chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, he lists over there again many of the same qualifications that we find here. Now he also told us, Okay, not only what a pastor is supposed to be, but he also gives us two other 
tremendously important uh, passages on what a pastor is supposed to do. And one is found in Acts 20, in verse 28. If you got taken little notes, Acts 20, verse 28. The other one is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So the Bible is very simple. There are two officials. They are mentioned. Uh, we meet the first one in verse 1 here. He's called a bishop. He's the spiritual leader. And God gives us the qualifications, okay? Now, this word bishop, as you see it here, is the word episkopos in the Greek. Episkopos. What English word do we get from that? Episcopalian. You ever heard of this, this religion, this, this church called the Episcopalian? That word bishop means overseer, superintendent. I ran into somebody in your church who was over all the schools. Where is he at? There he is, that guy. What he did, that's what this word means. Okay? Bishop. Got that in your head? He's an overseer. Okay? And uh, he's a superintendent. Now, let's go look now at those two passages so we have an idea of what the pastor is supposed to do. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts is the history book of the New Testament. Acts chapter 20. Turn with me in your scriptures. I want you to see it yourself. Now, in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, Acts 20, verse 17, we, are, we can see who Paul is speaking to here. This is, Paul is going to speak here to some people, and it says in verse 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the blank of the church. The elders of the church. Now he calls the elders down. Look, you're up in Ephesians. I, I, I'm, I'm busy. Paul's busy. He's in a hurry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He says, will you fellas please come down and meet me in Miletus as I'm passing through. i got something I want to say to you. And so they come down in verse 17. And then the rest of this chapter, all the way up to he blows kisses from the boat, all the way at the end of this chapter is his time with these Ephesian elders of their church. And so now we are introduced to another term, elders of the church, okay? But notice now what he says to them, and this is where we get into what they do. Look at verse 28. You have verse 28, Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto your what? Okay, elders of the church, look at yourself first, and to all the what? flock okay to the flock are we talking about a flock of birds what are we talking about we're talking about a flock of the church where's the church at up in Ephesus all right to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you what's the word you want to guess what uh, Greek word that is episkopos bishop there's our word again, overseer, bishop. And then it says for them to do what? What does it say next for them? To feed the church of God. Now, to feed the church. We're going to feed the flock. I wonder what kind of food they need. We're going to give them hay. We're going to give them the word of God. Now, this is another word. To feed the flock is where we get the word shepherd. You ever heard of that? Who is the chief shepherd? Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. 
Okay, we have this terminology all the New Testament. I only got about three hours to teach today, so I'm going to get a lot of stuff in. I can't go everywhere, but, I, but we can, we, you know some of these verses already in your mind. Okay, and so a pastor is also the under-shepherd. He is a shepherd of the flock. And so you have right there in that, in that verse, it, it talks about these elders and they're over the flock, they're to be overseers of the flock, and they're to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Where was that purchase taking place at? At Calvary, right? At Calvary, on the cross. So this tells us, this tells us from this passage, that the elder is the same person as the bishop. An elder, a bishop, a shepherd, a pastor are all the same person. They are synonymous terms. They're used interchangeably in the New Testament, but they're talking about the same person. Presbuteros, presbuteros is the word for elder, and we get our English word presbuteros. The English word is Presbyterian. You say, well, what's the difference between the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians? It's in their leadership style. One has elders and one has bishops, and they got it from the scriptures, okay? And then you have the other one, which is poimeino, and that's the word for shepherd, okay? Three terms speaking about the same individual, the same person. Now, let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're looking at what a pastor is and what a pastor does. Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. These are the two main passages in all of the New Testament describing what the pastor does. Okay, what a pastor is and what a pastor does. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. It says, the what? Oh, here's that term again. The elders which are among you, I exhort, whom am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Notice what it says in verse 2, there to do what? Yep, there to shepherd, there to feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the what? Oh, is that our word again? Yes or no? That's our word again. The overseer, the superintendent, the supervision, okay? Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not by being forced to do this. Don't be forced to do it, but doing it willingly, not for filthy lucre. What is that? You're not in ministry for the money, okay? Not for the money, but of a ready mind. You're eager to do this. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. You're not a dictator as a leader, but being in samples or being an example to the flock and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So elders are supposed to shepherd. Elders are supposed to oversee. And we have elders, we have shepherd, and we have bishop, and we have those terms. So when we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll go back to this section. It says here in chapter 3, verse 1, it calls this person a bishop. Now, bishop is an overseer. Listen now. And it speaks to his function. Okay, his function. He is in the management responsibility of the church. He is in the supervision of the flock. 
He is in the administration of the church. And so when you see the word bishop, it's, de it's, it's describing his function, okay? This is what he's doing. This is how he's functioning. Now, the word elder, you say, well, what does that word mean? Okay? That word elder speaks to the character of the man, the character. This word is talking about his spiritual maturity. Maybe you heard someone say, respect your Maybe you thought, well, that, he's talking about old people, okay? And it can be used for old people, but it's talking about a person with character, with spiritual maturity. So the elder word speaks to his character. The bishop word speaks to his function, okay, as a bishop. And then thirdly, the word pastor speaks of his shepherding role, his shepherding ministry. He is to shepherd the sheep. He is to feed the sheep. He is to guide the sheep. And every now and then, he has to pinch the sheep, shear the sheep, right? Because the sheep, you know, they like to go astray. So the shepherd is caring and watching over and doing the work of the shepherd and so you see all three of these describing the same person by the way the pastor in the bible the elder the bishop is never called reverend in the bible reverend is only used once in the bible and it's used in reference to god and the bible says in psalm 111 and verse 9 you don't have to turn there Holy and reverend is his name. And so that term is referring to God. So the office of a bishop in verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, I want to give you quickly just some responsibilities, responsibilities of the pastor. Okay, here's a list, here's a few, and you might like them, you might not like them. It doesn't matter if we like them or we don't like them. This is what God says they're supposed to do. Number one. Uh-oh, you ready for this one? You might not like it. They are to rule. But I have an opinion. We all have opinions. We all have preferences. But God has placed authority in the home, yes or no? He's placed authority in the government, yes or no? And he's placed authority in the church. And that authority is in the bishop, the pastor, the shepherd the leader, the overseer. And so we're going to look at a couple of these. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews, turn over to Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 7. So number one, these are not in any type of order. I just picked a several out. I'm not going to give them all to you because there's a lot of responsibilities given to them, but I'm going to give you some of the major ones. Hebrews 13, verse 7, okay? You there? I love it when the Bible pages are turning. Amen? We're working in the Word. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. The Bible says, Remember them which have the rule over you. Okay, now, so that tells you right, right away now, this, this, this pastor is not under you. He's over you. Well, we hired him, preacher. We hired him. Yes, you did. And he is not your employee. He's God's employee. 
And he's going to answer to God for you. Now, your daughter might be able to choose her husband. But once she gets married, guess who's in charge? The husband is. Once she says, I do, it's over. So she better choose her husband very, oh yeah, very carefully, very wisely, because, because she knows that when she gets married, she's going to come under the leadership of her husband. Have you noticed that we've taken out of our wedding vows to obey? Why do we take it out? Some of them, but why do they take it out? Because I'm not obeying him. <laughs> this is an equal opportunity employer. I'm going to do what I want to do. He can do what he wants to do. And if it lines up, we're okay. And that's why we have such problems today, yes or no? Now, in essence, when a pastor comes in here, you are marrying him. That ought to bring some fear and trepidation to your heart. And you better marry wisely or he'll tear this place up one side and down the other. Yes or no? So you got to get God's man. And you got to make sure you get it right. Because once you say I do, it's over. You can holler and kick and scream. And you might be able to throw him out. But it's going to do a lot of damage in the meantime. Yes or no? Might be able to divorce him. <laughs> but it's going to be a lot of damage. There always is in the fallout of it. And so the Bible says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you what? You're in Hebrews 13 and verse 7. Who's spoken unto you what? The word of God, whose faith you should do what? Oh, yeah, you should follow his faith. This man should be a man of the word of God. His, his preaching should be in his life, in his living. You should, you know, anybody who stands up and preaches something that he's not doing it himself is called a what? He's called a hypocrite. So this is a person who's living out what he's preaching and teaching to you, okay? Whose faith follow, considering the end of the conversation. Now look over at Hebrews 13 and verse 17. You there with me? Hebrews 13, verse 17. You might not like this verse either. The Bible says, Obey them, obey them that hath the, there's that word again, rule over you, okay? And, and what? Submit yourselves, for they do what? They watch for your souls as they that must give what? Guess who they're going to give an account to for the souls? That's right. They, they're going to be answerable to God for God's sheep because they're the shepherd of the sheep. And the Bible goes on to say that they may do it with and not with. Did you know, I look, I've been a pastor, and I had some sheep that gave me great joy, and I gave me, had some sheep that gave me some great grief. And I knew that if I saw them, if they're coming, if they're calling me, they're emailing me, they're texting me, here comes grief. Did you know that some church people are like that? Give them a capital G, grief. And in others, a joy. For that is unprofitable for you. Okay, look at 1 Timothy, if you will, chapter 5. 1 Timothy, chapter 5. 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 17. You there? 
Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what the Bible says. It says, let the elders, notice it's plural, you know you can have more than one pastor in your church, yes or no? You can have more than one. You can have two, three, four. Let the elders, the Bible says that do what? Rule well, they do a good job at leading. Let them be counted what? Worthy of what? Double honor, especially these kind of elders. The elders that are laboring in what? In the word and doctrine. So there's, there, you have a group of elders, and usually out of that pastoral group, there's one that's doing most of the teaching. And he's the leader amongst the leaders. If you have more than one pastor. Wouldn't it be great if you had three or four pastors? Yes or no? Oh, it'd be wonderful. I was a senior pastor. I had a little small country church. We were in a town of, I don't know, 40, 45 people. Everything's closed. Post office closed. School closed. Restaurants closed. Gas station closed. Sawmills closed. Church is about to close. That's why they hired me. I was cheap. $100 a week. And so, I mean, we just worked away in that little church. I was glad when I had some retired pastors come to our church. I ended up, I think, with either three or four retired pastors that had over 100 years of pastoring amongst them. And they would come. And what a blessing they were to a young fellow like me. They'd done, they'd done gone through the wars. <laughs> They'd been bit all over their bodies. <laughs> And they helped me as a young person to stand and remain standing. What a blessing. And then we raised up pastors in our own church. We trained up some of our young, some of our middle-aged. And they became pastors next to us. We even sent some of them out to pastor other churches. And so I always say if anything like that can happen in Medora, it can happen anywhere. As long as we follow this book. And so we see here they are ruling Sometimes everybody is running the church except for the pastor. You got the wrong people running the church. The church is not a democracy. The church is not made up of voting blocks. Now you're going to vote, I assume, to bring this fellow in. And you need to realize that when you say I do, you're done. And you're going to come up under his leadership. So make sure you hire well. If you can't bring yourself under his leadership, then vote no. No way. <laughs> and you ought to have a really good, strong consensus together that this man and his family are the ones that are coming here. It should be a strong consensus. I don't like this 51%, 49%, because eventually you're going to have 49% gone somewhere else. I don't like that. We want to have a consensus. Number two, he should preach and teach. We just read in 1 Timothy 5, 17, he's supposed to labor, labor. Ladies, you know what it means to labor to have a baby? You know what it means? You guys have had some babies here, yes? You know what it means to labor? We want a guy who's going to work in this book. I mean, you come by here, you should catch him in his office, you catch him in the Bible open, and his paper's spread out all over the place. 
because he's working in the word. Because he's got to feed you. And how often do you eat? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, right? He's got at least that. He's going to preach at least three times. You can't throw stuff together. You can't get it off the internet. He's got to work in this word. He's got to spend time in this word so he can deliver. Listen, I don't care if the place is a hole in the wall. If the food is good, people are going to come back. Now, we're at the church. I mean, we had one toilet for ladies. And when you flushed it, you could hear it in the sanctuary. We had no air conditioning. Try that in Kansas in the summer. You know how hot it gets? But we had the word of God. We need a man who's going to open this book. He's going to preach this book straight. No matter who's sitting in the audience. John the Baptist preached. The guy put him in jail because he preached something he didn't like. He said, that woman you're with is not your wife. That's your brother's wife and you're committing adultery. And he laid it out. He got put in jail for it. You got to have a man who will stand for God and stand for the word. Most of our preachers today are flip-flopping like fish on the bank. Wherever the way the wind is blowing, that's the way they're believing. We don't want somebody like that. We want somebody who's going to represent the word and cut it straight. So he's got to preach and teach. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible says, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the what? Preach the word. Listen, a story every now and then, that's good. You made us laugh here now, that's good. But don't make your sermon up a bunch of stories. A lot of people are good storytellers. We want the Bible preached. The Bible says preach the what? Word. And notice what it says. It says be instant, in season, when it's popular, when it's not popular. Then notice what it says. It says reprove, right? Reprove. What's the next word? rebuke and exhort let me ask you a question if somebody reproves you somebody rebukes you is it, it i mean is that a wonderful thing that's kind of painful you know i used to have church people tell me you stepped on my toes today i said well i i wanted to make sure i stepped all over you because i want the word of god to work in your life because if we're not measured up to the word of god we got some movement to do the standard never changes, does it? The standard never changes. The line where God wants us to be never changes. And we've got to get up to that line. It's not what the church is doing down the road. It's not what the American Christianity is doing. It's what the Bible says we're supposed to be. That's where we've got to get to. And if we find ourselves living down here, we're going to get spanked by the Bible. And God wants to bring us up to the line. It's called correction. That's what we're trying to do in our homes with our kids. That's what we're trying to do with our youth, our children. This is what we need to do in our church. And when people get rebuked and reproved, how do you like it? Do people get angry, yes or no? They get upset. But look, I tell people, look, don't be mad with me. There have been plenty of other people in the Bible that people got upset with, right? But they were the mouthpiece of God. I've had people storm out of the office. I've had them even cuss me. I'm talking about church people. I mean, they're cussing up one side down the other. All because I confronted them. You know what I confronted them about? Well, I understand that you're living together and you're not married. And both of them had Christian parents. And none of the parents had said anything to them about it. Now, I didn't know they were coming to church, and I didn't know they were not married. I didn't know that they were. 
I found out about the third or fourth week they were coming. And so I called them in, asked them about their salvation, asked if they were born again, asked all the important questions, make sure they got that spiritual stuff taken care of. And then I, I asked them, I said, now, are you two married? No. I said, are you two living together? Yes. I said, you do know that's wrong, don't you? Oh, then you could see the temperature rising. They walked out. And they left. And they were gone for a long time. I don't know if they're ever going to come back. By the way, they, went, they did get married after a while. And after a few years, guess where they came back? They came back to our church. They walked in, and I greeted them after church on Sunday. And they said, you know, Pastor, we knew you were right when you spoke to us. We were just living in sin. We want to apologize for the way we behaved, what we said. And we want to thank you because you're the only one that spoke the truth to us. Our parents didn't say anything. Our former churches didn't say anything. But you said, you said it as lovingly and kindly, as nicely as you could possibly say it. But it was hard. I'm sure it was hard for you to tell us that. And we treated you horribly and walked away and cursed your name when we left and told a bunch of other people how bad your church is. <laughs> And they came home and asked for forgiveness, and they're back in church, and in church to this day. Somebody's got to stand for truth. And your preacher, when he stands for truth and stands for the right, he's going to take a beating, sometimes by his own flock. That's part of it. And so he's got to preach and teach the Word of God. Notice it says exhort. Now, that's the positive word. He's supposed to encourage with the Word of God, too. He's, uh, he's to, uh, you know, put that good salve if you will and then he's to do it with all long suffering and doctrine number three he's to pray for the sick okay this is james chapter 5 and verse 14 the bible says is any sick among you let him call for the what let him call for the elders okay number four he's to care for the flock he's to care for the church we covered those verses there and so he needs to be involved in your life he needs to be involved in, in, in what, he needs to know you. See, you, you cannot just pastor a church from the pulpit. Now, many of you go to your doctor, but your doctor doesn't come to you. You go get your hair done, but your barber don't come to your house. You guys do know what a barber is, right? All right. We go and visit these people. They do something for them. For us, we pay them, and we don't ever see them in our homes. Well, when it comes to the preacher, now this is different. Paul said, not only preach to you publicly, but I went from house to what? House to house. And you need a pastor who cares for his flock. And he's in your home. And you're in his home because you remember he's supposed to be ha 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 Oh, yeah, hospitable. That's right. You know, if you've got a pastor, the pastor's family, and he's never had anybody in his home, something's wrong. Because he's supposed to be apt to hospitality. This is the kind of person he's supposed to be. He needs to know his sheep. He needs to know you. And you can't get to know somebody by just seeing them dressed up on Sundays, carrying the Bibles, and greeting them at the back door. Hopefully your pastor does do that, though. I know some pastors, when they go out of the pulpit, they don't even want to see their people He's untouchable. I'm too busy to have time with the folks. My job is just to preach, and I'm going to hide in my closet somewhere. That's not what the Bible teaches. You've got to care for the flock. The only way you can care for them is to know them. 
and be a personal investment into their life. So you got to look for someone who personally cares. Number five, he's supposed to equip and train the people to do the work of the ministry. We'll cover that in the second hour. Number six, he's supposed to be an example to the flock, example for others to follow. He's to be an example. Number seven, he's to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ, which is to evangelize. He should be sharing the gospel, right? You're with him. He's somewhere. He should be sharing the gospel with other people. You should see that from time to time. He's handing out a gospel tract. He's, He's concerned about somebody's soul. He's an evangelist. So he's evangelizing, he's baptizing, he's discipling, he's making disciples, he's setting up church policy, and the list could go on and on. But look back now at 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's some of the duties. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 that this is a true saying. This is a true statement. Okay? If a man, okay, if a man, that, that, that right now limits the calling, okay, it limits the calling to males. If a woman cannot be the head of her own home, how can she be the head of the church? She's not supposed to be, that's correct. That's not how God designed it. He tells us why the man is in leadership. Because he was created what? He's created first. He's created first. He goes all the way back to Genesis. Adam was first. And guess who was responsible for the sin in the garden? Eve was deceived, but Adam was responsible. And we talk about the first Adam, and we talk about the second Adam. Aren't you glad about the second Adam? (laughs) We all got the first Adam's problems. But not all people have the second Adam's forgiveness. Second Adam referring to Jesus Christ. And then it's an undeniable calling. Notice it says, if a man what? Desires this, okay? He is compelled, if you will. He has a zealous inclination. He feels inclined. He has to do this. I have to do this. This is what God has put on my heart to do. I have to do it. Doesn't make a difference if it's $100 a a week. I would do it if it didn't pay me anything. Because I'm inclined. I have this on my heart. God has laid this burden. What did old Jeremiah say when he decided to be quiet? Remember what he said? I got this burning inside. I got to let it out. I've got to be God's mouthpiece. And so we don't want to compel people or coerce people. Sometimes church people, they look around and say, well, you know, that guy's a good speaker. We ought to make him to be our pastor. He's a good speaker. Oh, he dresses the part. Look at him. He, he wears a suit and a tie. We'll make him to be our pastor. And then you ask him, you know, do you want to be a pastor? Well, you know, I could be one. Is that the guy you want? Because it's going to come a time when things get tough, and he says, well, I could be one. Today I don't want to be one. So you've got to have a person who's called by God, and no matter what happens, he stands in the storm. Because he's got this calling upon his life, he cannot do anything else. That doesn't mean he can't work a job. I worked three jobs for the first five, six, seven years of ministry. Because I didn't get paid at the church. We got four babies. They got to eat somehow. 
So I worked at the Christian school before Brother Craig got to the same Christian school. And I worked as a janitor as a Japanese company. You got to do what it takes. Take care of your family. But I was called and burdened to pastor. Doesn't mean you can't work a second or third or fourth job. You got to do what to do to feed your family. Apostle Paul worked with his own hands, right? What kind of work did he do? His tent maker worked with leather. So he could feed himself and those who traveled with him. He had some big traveling parties, yes or no? Sometimes he'd have five or ten guys with him. They ate. They had to eat, you know. So you got to work. So just because he dresses or maybe he's been off to Bible college, but if he doesn't have that inner compulsion, then he's not your man. Now notice in verse 1, it says if he, he desires a, a good what? What's the word? Yeah, but look at verse 1. At the end of verse 1, the office of bishop, he desireth a good what? Work. Do you guys know what it means to work? Do Oklahoma people know how to work, yes or no? Well, you guys don't seem too convinced about that. Do you folks know how to work? All right. Now, work, this is a, this is a noble work to be in the ministry, to be a pastor. It's a, it's a high-quality work. But listen, it's a demanding work. It's demanding. And if you're looking to uh, have an easy time and go into ministry, you got the wrong idea. If you're looking just to work on Sundays and Wednesdays and play golf on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday and go down the rivers of Oklahoma the rest of the week, you know, you're looking for the wrong type of work. It's work. It's not 9 to 5 or 8 to 4.30. The phone rings. He can't say, look, I'm off. Because the phone's going to ring all kinds of times and hours. So-and-so's in the hospital two hours away. Well, too bad. I misses my day off. <laughs> Don't work like that. It's work. It's work. The Bible says this. If you look at 1 Thessalonians, go back just a few pages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. What I'm saying to you is, is, is this man needs to be a hard-working man. If you go over to his house and his grass is six foot high, <laughs> you better think again. I used to have, I used to train pastors in the summertime. They'd be in Bible college and they'd send them out to me to train them in the summertime and I'd get one, two, three, four. I'd take as many as they gave me. I like them. We're going to find out what they're made of. We're going to give them a real education because school is one thing, but being in the ministry is another. First day they would come in, they'd sit in a big office. I had a nice big office. I didn't have one. I started out in, the, in a closet. And the secretary, I'd make them wait down in the secretary's office just a few minutes to make them you know, feel like you know, this is an important thing to walk down to the pastor's, senior pastor's office. So they'd come down and sit in the room. and I'm kind of a tall guy, and most of them were not. And, they sit across from me, and I'd take the first hour and give them orientation for the summer. And then I would tell them this, please stand. And they would stand up. I said, I want you to go outside. I want you to walk around the building seven times. Don't walk in the same steps. Walk around seven times and come back in. They're like, what are you talking about? Does this have something to do with Joshua? I said, yeah, just go outside. Walk around the church seven times. Don't walk in the same way, and then come on in when you're done. Okay. They go outside and walk around. Some be back in ten minutes. One kid, I had to go out and find him. 
I don't know, maybe he done gone. He says, this, after this orientation, what this summer is going to include, like working every day, I don't know if I want this internship or not. You know why I found that kid outside? I found him out there picking glass up off the children's playground. Because that morning, I went over to the church parking lot, and I dumped trash all over the church parking lot. I took tree limbs and laid them over the sidewalks. I took Bibles, kids' Bibles, and laid them out on the benches. I, I strewed stuff all over the place out there. I had some guys come back into church. You know what they said? I said, what did you see out there? Well, I saw the roof of the church. I saw some clouds. I saw the apple trees next door. I said, did you see anything else? Nope, didn't see anything else. We already got a problem. See, a pastor needs to see things. And one of those guys who didn't see anything, I put a, a McDonald's cup by his door of his office with lipstick on it. It sat there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I finally went over there Wednesday afternoon because, look, we're going to have to pick this cup up because your office door is right outside the sanctuary. So I go in. I said, do you know whose cup this is? He goes, nope. I said, how long has it been there? He said, oh, I don't know, a couple days. I said, are you going to pick it up? He says, no, the janitors will get it. Now, do you think that guy's ever going to make it as a pastor, yes or no? And I want to say to you, that's probably been 15, 20 years ago. He never, he never made it as a pastor. You know that one kid that went out there and went around and around? I had to go find him. That boy is tearing it up today. He is pastoring away. He's gone through some dark waters. He has not stopped. And I found out about his servant's heart early on. What time am I supposed to stop? 30 minutes ago? Is that true? I have gone over a lot. lot. Oh, I need to stop right now. All right. All right. Is there anything else I need to tell you? Okay. All right. I'm going to tell one more thing, and I'll leave you with this. Okay. When we come to looking for our pastor, make sure it's biblical qualifications and not man-made qualifications. See, we in our heads, we have these things that we think our pastor ought to be. But you don't find them in the biblical qualifications. And so we got to have the biblical qualifications. We need to know what he needs to be and what he needs to do. Okay, he's got to have character. And you need to check that thoroughly. And then you, when you're talking with him, you need to find out what he's planning on doing. Because some of these kids have been reading books. Not the Bible. They've been reading books, and they plan on coming here and putting that book into operation on you. So you might want to ask them who their favorite authors are. Hopefully they say the Holy Spirit. Can you believe I went to that Christian school that you went to, Brother Craig? And I went there as the Bible teacher. My wife was the business teacher. I went there as the Bible teacher, and they had the audacity to ask me, what textbook are you going to use in Bible class? I said, well, what do you mean, what textbook? Yeah, yeah, you want us to buy a textbook for your students for the Bible class? I said, will, will, will the Bible do it? And they said, well, that, that'd be a great idea. <laughs> I said, this is a Christian school, and we're not going to use the Bible in Bible class? <laughs> Come to find out those students did not like me, Brother Craig. I made them read a chapter of the Bible every day, gave them a quiz every day. They saw my face. They had a quiz or a test every day, except for the first. I wanted to give them one on the first day of school, but it wouldn't let me. Some of those classes that started with me in seventh grade, by the time they got to the twelfth grade, they'd taken a quiz on every chapter in this book. I see those kids today. They're in their 40s now. 
And you know what they remember about Bible class? They remember the Bible. That's what they remember. Many of them are still serving the Lord today. And so we've looked at number one, and we'll begin number two in just a few short minutes. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just take about 15 seconds to pray. I'd like for you to pray uh, individually, pray quietly. Pray about what we talked about today from the Word of God. You pray, and then I'm going to close this in just 15, 20 seconds, and I'll pray and close the Sunday school hour. Let us pray.